A city obsessed by its ghosts seems to be weighted down by a conflicted view of the past. Something close to melancholy, a weight it can't quite let go of, a lingering sadness. And though we don't often think of the United States in these terms, this melancholy is as much a part of our history as our triumphs. Colin Dickey, Ghostland, an American History in Haunted Places. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Today we're going to do something different and talk about some nonfiction books. Joining us today, we have a nonfiction expert, Olive, who you may know from her YouTube channel, A Book Olive. Thank you so much for joining us, Olive. Thank you so much for having me. So we wanted to have you on this episode talk about some horror-ish nonfiction, uh, just because you're known in the online book community as a nonfiction enthusiast. Uh, Every year, you co-host an online book event called Nonfiction November. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Well, Nonfiction November is a month-long reading challenge that I host on BookTube with Gemma, whose channel is Nonfic Books. It's very casual. We just hope to get people reading more nonfiction than they already do. So if someone reads no nonfiction at all, we hope to encourage them to pick up maybe just one book. If someone typically reads nonfiction regularly, then we hope that they pick up even more than they already do. So it's less of a challenge in the typical booktube sense and more of an initiative to get people excited about reading nonfiction. I love that. What was the inspiration behind that? Well, I think we both noticed that booktube tends to be more focused on fiction It seems like people sometimes have this impression about nonfiction books, that they're going to be dry and boring and not engaging to read. But Gemma and I both really love nonfiction, and we know that it can be just as engaging and interesting as fiction. So we loved, first of all, the alliteration of Nonfiction November and the opportunity to get the community talking about and reading nonfiction. It's also a really great chance since this challenge happens at the end of the year to get people to catch up on any nonfiction-centric reading goals that they may have fallen behind on. Oh, for sure. That's so smart. And I feel like a little bit as you're talking about, you know, those people that don't read a lot of nonfiction, that maybe call it boring and dry, that I feel like you're kind of talking about people like me. So it's actually (laughs) nice. I feel like I'm our token... (laughs) bad nonfiction reader with this podcast episode. So hopefully that works out well. But I wanted to find out from you without recommending specific books, kind of what are your general strategies for getting fiction readers like maybe myself who reads a lot of horror fiction actually getting me to read some nonfiction books? Like what do you tell them when they want to pick those books up? Well, I think we all like a good Wikipedia deep dive where you're just kind of going down the rabbit hole of clicking on link after link (laughs) and then associated link. So if there's ever a topic, event, or person that you're reading about that particularly fascinates you, use that. Use that as a start. Uh, There are often references at the bottom of Wikipedia articles to books that they got that information from, so you can start there. Nonfiction is such a huge sweeping genre, and there are plenty of places for horror readers within it. Of course, true crime is a huge one. 
uh, histories about dark, creepy places or happenings, or even micro histories about one specific topic that dive into a darker subject matter, like some of the books I think we're going to talk about today. So would you consider yourself a horror reader? Uh, I wouldn't especially consider myself a horror reader. I'm not drawn to things that I think are going to absolutely terrify me. But I do love stories that have a creepy element or undertone to them. So I'm not the type of person who would go and watch a horror movie, mm-hmm. but I would definitely pick up a book that has maybe a hint of ghostly activity. Ooh. I like that. <laughs> so we actually had some fun preparing for this episode and we put a call out on both our Instagram and Twitter. So if you don't follow the podcast, I definitely encourage you to just because we plan on doing this a little more frequently. But we decided to ask our listeners what were some of their real life phobias. And before we talk about their answers, I thought we'd kind of go around and share some of ours. So starting with myself, my big one is drowning. I admit I'm a really bad swimmer. I never learned as a kid. I learned as an adult that I'm still one of those people who doggy paddles around. And because of that, I'm absolutely terrified of drowning. I freak out on open water. If you go for a boat ride and I have the life preserver on, I'm still trying not to just scream my head off. I hate watching movies when people are drowning. I just, I hate it. I hate it so much. That was an easy one for me. Mine would definitely be millipedes and centipedes. For whatever reason, spiders (laughs) don't really bother me. Um, Like if I see one in my house, I don't really want it around, but I'm not terrified unless it's like something you'd find in Australia, like a wolf spider. Oh my god! Millipedes and centipedes, I cannot handle. Like I need them out of my space as soon as possible. And then uh, tornadoes, but that's probably just because I was born in the Southwest. (laughs) That makes sense. I am terrified of dolls, heights, and being put in a saw type situation, like the movie Saw. Could you expand on that? Like the dolls? The the saw type situation. (laughs) Could you please expand on the dolls, please? (laughs) Let's talk about this. So the saw type situation, I just feel is... A mix of a lot of things. Getting kidnapped by a serial killer, torture. I can't watch movies where people are forced to do things to themselves. Like when it comes to survival stuff and people have to amputate their own leg. Oh, that's horrifying. That whole situation is just kind of a mix of all of that. And also someone punishing me for something like that. I don't know. I have a crazy fear that I'm going to wake up on a mountain of cracked phone screens because someone said I wasn't paying enough attention to my kid at the park and they wanted to punish me. Like, I don't know. It's just I hate that whole thing. It creeps me out and I can't. I can't do it. Nope. So we did do, like Rachel said, we did do a call out and you guys came through. So we're going to read some of those. So Baker St. Shelves said needles, clowns, spiders, reptiles, failure, and stuff going into my eye, which I also agree with stuff. I hate watching that. Like if that's a thing in a movie where they're like, we're going to have to put this in your eye. Oh, that's so gross. Or stuff going like under your nails. Oh, I hate that. Oh, that's a good one, too. (laughs) Sadie at Sadie Reads Them All said spiders, lotus pods, egg sacs, ghosts, sharks, clowns, dolls, puppets, confined spaces, icebergs, windmills, and psychos. And I did ask her to expand on egg sacs and windmills. And she said, egg sacs just make me think of a tiny spider explosion, and I can't handle that. And those big windmills, especially the ones in the ocean, so ominous. Makes sense. I agree with most of those besides maybe like windmills or wind turbines. I think they're very elegant, but that's probably just me. (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought the windmills were strange, but then she attached a picture and there was just this field of windmills. I'm like, okay, that's kind of actually creeped me out now. So, <laughs> so I, I, I feel you, Sadie. I, I'm right there with you. I also really liked Kelsey Peppa's answer, and that was children and elevators, and specifically those two together, because she said, when the little shites jump up and down, sometimes it stops the elevator, and then I panic. And I agree with that. I hate when people jump in elevators. Falling must be another fear of mine, because that one made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, well, that goes with my heights, too. When you jump up and down in an elevator, are they looking for a specific sensation with that, or are they just trying to... I assume they're trying to break the elevator, those terrible little children. (laughs) The next one is a really good one. Erica Robin said, driving over a bridge that is crumbling into the water. And if you live here in Pittsburgh, that's a very real fear. We have so many bridges and some of them are in uh, better condition than others. So I can definitely relate. Yeah, I don't want that picture now that when I go over a bridge, (laughs) I don't need that in the back of my mind. Thanks, Erica Robin. (laughs) And Rachel Peach with the last one, teeth falling out, which I know is like a big thing in like recurring dreams, but I didn't know that was an actual fear people had. Yeah, I think so. It goes in with the dentist, which I feel like everyone is a little bit afraid of their dentist. Yeah. So many people are afraid of the dentist. Pretty much everyone I talk to has a fear of going to the dentist. I just don't like it. It's just uncomfortable. Like I'm not terrified of it. It's just the sound of the drill and like the sensation. It's not fun. No, the smells aren't great either. No. So before we get into any specific book recommendations, we just want to take a moment to point out some of the different subgenres of horror because we know that when people are listening to this episode, they're going to say, well, why didn't they talk about those books or these other books? And we realized when we were cultivating our list that there really are a lot of different ways to talk about nonfiction when it comes to horror. So we are purposely excluding books on true crime because we plan on doing a separate episode all about serial killers, etc., as well as we want to exclude books on quote-unquote real-life paranormal experiences like the Amity Horror. And it's just the fact, again, that we're going to do a separate episode on that, so you can look forward to those. The nonfiction books we do want to cover in this episode are going to be talking about horror as a kind of media, as well as nonfiction books about real-life horror that has occurred or does exist in the world, and just talking about the dark side of humanity in real life. And I think that ties really well into Stephanie's first book recommendation, so I'll let you go ahead. All right, the first book I wanted to talk about is My Friend Dahmer by Durf Back Durf, which, yes, is a pen name. And this is a graphic memoir about a guy who went to school with Jeffrey Dahmer. And it is about Jeffrey Dahmer growing up and his upbringing. So I think it focuses mostly on high school, and then it ends right before he kills his first person. So this is kind of how Jeffrey Dahmer became Jeffrey Dahmer. And it is really interesting. So right at the beginning, the author saying like he is in no way making an excuse for Jeffrey Dahmer. Like he obviously isn't saying that anything he did was okay or excusable because he had a crappy upbringing. So one thing I really liked about this is the author tried to be very factual and he actually and this is a graphic novel. So it's a bunch of drawings and He actually had footnotes for a lot of his drawings where he was saying why certain things look the way they do. So if he would have a panel that took place at the Dahmer house, he would have a footnote and say that he went to a party there and he was able to get the floor plan. And if he included something about a yearbook picture in the back, he would include the actual yearbook picture. And this is actually getting a movie adaptation that I think is out right now. And we will leave a link to the trailer in the show notes. Jeffrey Dahmer just had like a really 
tough home life. His dad left and then at the end of high school, like his mom and his brother left and he lived alone. He was an alcoholic in high school. He walked around through his high school with open containers of alcohol and no one said anything. And I think a big theme in this book is like, where were the adults? Like, why did no one do anything to help this kid? It's a little bit of a bummer. And I think the horror of when you're reading it, because you know the person that Jeffrey Dahmer becomes is just, it's horrifying and a little heartbreaking. So that is my first pick. That is My Friend Dahmer by Durf Back Durf. I really want to read that one. It sounds like it's a bit of an exploration of where he got his start from as a crazy serial killer. Yes. I don't know. Just I love that deep dive into where did it come from? Where did it start? Is it nature versus nurture? Mm -hmm. And I love graphic memoirs in general. So that's one. That's one I can get behind. This episode will be convincing (laughs) Rachel that nonfiction is not scary, but this sounds right up my alley. Oh, I think you would love it. Definitely be reading this one. And I did see the trailer. It looks fantastic so i do hope it has an actual release here so i can check it out yeah i hope so i really love this trend of graphic nonfiction books yes. that have images in them i really think it adds something i've seen a lot of them that are not necessarily horror related that are using it more as an educational tool it, it really adds something to the learning experience i find i think it's good for people with like short attention spans it captures a wider audience i think and it's for those people yeah. who say that nonfiction is dry. It's a great entry point. But uh, speaking of cannibalism, which is quite the transition, yep. <laughs> uh, the first book that I am going to talk about is called Cannibalism, A Perfectly Natural History by Bill Schutz. This is a natural and cultural history of cannibalism as a whole, the less than appetizing practice uh, over recorded human history. He does, in the book, go into depth about where we see cannibalism in the animal kingdom and what motivations animals have for employing the practice. He discusses our human taboo toward cannibalism, which most of the animal kingdom does not share, and talks about a few famous cases of cannibalism that most people have probably heard of, namely the Donner Party and the Siege of Leningrad. Mm -hmm. But I will say he doesn't sensationalize anything about those. And he keeps his talk about famous cases of cannibalism to a minimum because he doesn't want that sensationalistic aspect to be the whole of the book. He's mainly interested in the science and the attitudes toward it. For such a macabre subject matter, it was really intensely funny. He's cracking all kinds of jokes while he's outlining some pretty grim stuff. And it makes it so much more palatable, if you'll pardon the pun. (laughs) Uh, I felt myself getting a little squeamish at times because I'm not immune to our taboo about cannibalism. But I enjoyed this book the whole way through. I think any horror lover who likes gore and would be able to handle something like that would really enjoy this. It's pretty much the book equivalent of peeking through your fingers while you're watching a horror movie because it's gross, but you still want to know what happens. That also sounds really fun. It sounds interesting. I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I'll be picking that up just because I do want to peek through my fingers and find out what happens. There are really fun illustrations in it. There's illustrations. There are illustrations in it. It's one of those books where you're enjoying it so much the way through, but you're like, should I be enjoying this? Is it weird that I'm enjoying this? What does it say about me? Okay. That I really like this book about cannibalism. That's good you said that because I was going to do it on audio. So now I'll get the physical copy. I've heard the audiobook is good as well, so... Maybe both together. Maybe both. Okay. 
So my first book is called Scream, Chilling Adventures in the Science of Fear by Margie Kerr. This is a book written by a sociologist who decided to explore why people love to get scared. As a self-declared thrill seeker, she test drives different kinds of fear-inducing experiences. So everything from roller coasters to going up on tall buildings to exploring haunted houses. And when I heard that synopsis, I just had to pick it up. It sounded like a lot of fun and it really was. Uh, some of the best parts of this book were the fact that it really explores how different cultures consume fear, which I thought was just really interesting, and how they use horror as a different form of entertainment. Specifically, she really contrasted North American idea of horror, so our idea of like haunted houses versus something like a Japanese haunted house, which you wouldn't necessarily think about unless yeah. you actually kind of delved into the topic, but... Just going to a Japanese haunted house is apparently a very different experience. They have, I'm trying to remember some of the details of, they would just have empty rooms and like empty hallways would go down and there'd be absolutely nothing in it. And instead, compared to North American haunted houses, they were really gore focused and it was all about like giant jump scares and just horrific things happening. And unsurprisingly, the Japanese haunted houses were much more subtle. So I found all that stuff completely fascinating. I particularly love Japanese culture. So the fact that it was focused on that as a comparison uh, was just a great bonus for me. I also like that it talked about the need to feel safe in order to enjoy horror and like scary experiences, which is something I very much relate to, that looking through my life at times that I felt more insecure for whatever reason or anxious, those are times I've actually read other things, but right now in my life is so ridiculously safe and good and happy that it's a time that I very much can enjoy all the horror stuff and I just thought that was really interesting. So they look at places like Colombia that have high instances of kidnapping and other violent crime. And they really struggle to have horror entertainment. People just aren't interested in watching TV shows that are like Breaking Bad or Dexter. They say they try to make equivalent shows there, but they just do not do well in the ratings because people are physically scared for themselves, that they just aren't interested in having that in their media. So super fascinating. So that was a really good entry point for me into looking at, you know, why people like to get scared and looking at horror. So that was Scream Chilling Adventures in the Science of Fear by Margie Kerr. That sounds fascinating. That is I'm definitely interested yeah. in. Oh, it was so good. It's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you have to have a certain level of safety in order to be able to enjoy those kinds of things. I mean, it makes sense that people would need that form of escapism. And if you're in a dangerous place, horror for you is not any form of escapism. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Ah, I want to read that. That sounds so good. Maybe it'll help me understand horror readers more. Weirdos like us. I read a book on cannibalism. I cannot call you a weirdo. <laughs> this is true. And you enjoyed it a lot. I did. I enjoyed it the whole way through. I'm not going to lie about it. So the next book I want to talk about is is the one that Olive read a quote from at the top that is Ghost Land and American History in Haunted Places by Colin Dickey. Uh, so this is a little bit of a travelogue. Colin Dickey took a road trip and stayed at some famous American haunted places like uh, I don't think you can stay at the Winchester House in Northern California, but he visited there. He visited the House of Stephen Gables. So I think before you read this book, you need to know what it's going to be because I think a lot of people that didn't like this book thought it was going to be a collection of stories about like what the ghost stories were from all these haunted places in America and like what the folklore was behind them. And that's not quite what this book is. This book is a little more academic. So it's more about why do we tell ghost stories? He does try to dig through the fact behind some of the ghost stories. 
And I like that he just goes beyond the whole, like, ghosts are from the past and they're a symbol of our guilt for, like, bad things we did. Like, he just really digs into it. He gets into all kinds of theories about architecture and gender studies. It goes all over the place, but in a good way, if you know what I mean. One that we talked about on a previous episode was he talks about the trope of, like, the Native American burial ground popping up in horror in, like, the 70s and 80s. And it's real-life connection to court cases that were actually happening where tribes were suing the federal government for land around that time so that whole idea weighed on the conscience of people that maybe like the house that you owned you know you don't really own it you don't have the claim to it that you think you have so this was really interesting I just think people need to know that it's going to be a lot more academic than I think the title lets on but it was really fascinating if you're interested in that and interested in ghost stories why as a society do we tell them and how different they are in different parts of the country. And he does get into a little bit of like the Salem witch trials and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, I would definitely suggest picking this up. I absolutely loved it. Uh, So this was Ghostland in American History in Haunted Places by Colin Dickey. I just recently went to see a theater production of The Crucible. So that might be a good follow up. Yeah, he does get into that. It was it was really good. The next book that I would like to recommend is Rabid, A Cultural History of the World's Most Diabolical Virus by Bill Wasik and Monica Murphy. I know that you've read this one as well, Stephanie. Yeah. Um, this is not only a description of how the rabies virus operates in the body, which is a little bit atypical in that it doesn't go through your bloodstream like a normal virus, but it actually attaches itself to your nervous system which is especially insidious. But as the title says, it's also a cultural history of the virus. Uh, He talks about the changing attitudes toward the virus as humankind started to learn more and more about it, what it actually was, how it spread. And it also talks about how the virus may have inspired some very famous paranormal creatures like werewolves and vampires. I will say right now that I picked this book up toward the beginning of this year after I got shingles, which is the chickenpox virus coming back to life. And it's similar to rabies in that it also sits in your nervous system. I wanted to learn more about these types of viruses, but I couldn't find a book like that on the chickenpox virus. Mm -hmm. So instead I read this one and it was a good exercise in feeling grateful for what I had because rabies is much, much worse (laughs) than the chickenpox virus. By the time you're showing symptoms of rabies, it's very likely too late for you. I am a science geek, so I loved the first part about the virus itself, as well as the search for a vaccine. But I think horror readers would find the second half of this book, the cultural history section, the most entertaining because of the speculation about what creatures the virus inspired. Since your behavior so drastically changes when you have rabies and you start to, quote unquote, go back to your natural animal roots, it makes sense that it could have been an inspiration for Dracula and the like. Also, a fun fact that I learned from the book that I'm going to carry around to every dinner party from now on (laughs) is the term hair of the dog in terms of a treatment for a hangover comes from the very old superstitious treatment for rabies where you put a hair of the dog that bit you into the wound. So you give yourself more of the same, the modern equivalent of, you know, taking another drink in the morning when you have a hangover to try to erase the previous evening, which never works. It didn't work then, doesn't work now, but that's where it came from. 
That is really interesting. Yeah, I loved this book. And you are right. I did love the cultural history part of it. And I love the part where he got into the pop culture part of it. So, of course, he talked about Old Yeller. But more importantly, he also talked about the Office episode where they do the fun run for rabies. And he actually got into the stuff that Michael Scott said that was actually very correct about rabies. Like when Jan tries to give him water and he refuses because people that have rabies have a fear of water. Yep, hydrophobia is a symptom. (laughs) I love that episode. Yeah, do too. (laughs) So compared to your last few books, I feel like my last recommendation is a little more entertaining. It's not very academic, but it's a lot of fun. So that is The Horror of It All, One Moviegoer's Love Affair with Mass Maniacs, Frightened Virgins, and The Living Dead by Adam Rockoff. And this book is both a memoir and also a history of the horror movie genre. And each chapter is kind of broken up almost like an essay or I say a love letter to horror film buffs. And this is just, as it sounds, like a lot of fun. It's definitely a lot more lighthearted. I mentioned that's part memoir because the author really adds a lot of his own personal anecdotes into the story but at the same time it goes through the decades and talks about the ups and downs where horror became more popular when it changed different tropes and ideas that came in when different famous movies were brought into the scene there is one random chapter about heavy metal which just felt completely out of place honestly but as a whole i really did enjoy this one I like that it gives a really in-depth look at the horror industry, but it is more conversational than critical. There's probably more dense academic books that can really dive through every single horror movie, but this one is just a really fun snapshot. It does make the assumption that readers of this book are already avid film buffs, so it is going to spoil famous horror movies if you have not watched things like Halloween, keep in mind that he's going to say who the killer is, things like that. So if you are looking to get into horror movies, you might want to watch some of them first before picking up this book. If you already are watching and at least know like the really major classic ones, he just assumes that he's not talking to someone who's never watched a horror movie in their life. So just to give you that heads up there. But otherwise, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And one of the sections I particularly liked was how he addressed how horror enthusiasts are really shamed by mainstream culture. A lot of the criticisms of, well, how can you like this dark material? How can you enjoy watching people get stabbed in the night? Those kind of things. And even though I don't watch as much horror, I do, of course, read it. So those are criticisms that I get from people, you know, looking at the messed up books on my bookshelves. So I really appreciated his conversation around that and just really justifying the fact that you can enjoy those darker themes and still be a perfectly fine functional human in society and it doesn't really reflect on other parts of your life so I actually really enjoyed this one I listened to it on audio and it was a lot of fun so that was the horror of it all one moviegoers love affair with mass maniacs frightened virgins and the living dead by Adam Rockoff that sounds like such a fun book So we always like to end off the episode talking about some other creepy things we're loving. Uh, It's a good break to switch from nonfiction into some more fictional things that are just fun and creepy and horrific. So Olive, do you want to talk a little bit about your pick? Sure. Well, I still very much need to watch Stranger Things too. I've heard everyone raving about it. Yes, you do. do. (laughs) And I loved the first season, so I'm going to get to that now that... uh, 
the nonfiction November craziness is starting to come to a close. Um, but I recently saw another booktuber talking about the old Goosebumps books, which used to scare the daylights out of me as a kid. And she was talking about the cover redesigns and how they're not as scary as they used to be. And it brought up this memory for me of buying this Goosebumps book in a store when I was with my grandmother. It was called Please Don't Feed the Vampire. It's about a vampire poodle named Fifi. And I still find the cover absolutely terrifying. I went and looked it up. It was so terrifying to me as a kid that I made my grandmother return it to the store because it it scared me too much. But it probably did not help that I grew up with a poodle. So maybe it probably hit a little bit too close to home that I thought maybe the poodle was after me. I think I totally remember that book. It's horrifying. The redesign of it does not at all come close to how scary that original drawing was. I don't know why they feel like they need to, like they did a redesign on the scary stories to tell in the dark. And I'm like, no, the original illustrations were great. It doesn't need that. I don't think the Goosebumps needs redesigns either. No, I think they just try to modernize them, but then they take away some yeah. like old kitschy quality to them. But I, I definitely remember that book. <laughs> So my recommendation is The Babysitter, which is a new movie on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, so it should be available in all the different countries. And it's about a 12-year-old boy, Cole, who is basically scared of everything. He's scared of needles. He's just a little bit of a scaredy cat. He gets beat up by the bullies. And so his parents decide that even though he's 12 years old, he still needs a babysitter. However, his babysitter seems super cool. She's just his friend. They hang out. She's nerdy and just as a lot of fun. And then one night Cole decides to stay up late and he discovers that his babysitter is actually part of a cult and is using him to complete satanic rituals. So <laughs> if you can't tell from that synopsis, this is a horror comedy and it's ridiculous. I don't know if it's gonna be for everyone. I've actually seen other people give it really poor reviews just thinking that it was over the top, but that's what I love so much about it. There's some very gory scenes in it and it's basically a movie that you need to check out for yourself and just decide you'll either love it or hate it. But I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. And you can check out the trailer online if you're curious. It gives you a really good idea of what the movie's like. And I don't know, it was just, it was a blast. It was ridiculous. But if you're willing to go along with that, it's a perfect, you know, quick watch. Sometimes you just want something over the top. Yeah, this is on my to watch list for sure. And... My pick is also on Netflix. Have either of you watched Mindhunter? I haven't. So you have to. I really actually was excited <gasps> oh to hear gosh. more about it because I want to. It's so good. Well, I was really excited. Okay. Well, my sister-in-law, she's an extra a lot in stuff that films in Pittsburgh. So she told me that uh, she was going to be an extra in a David Fincher Netflix series. And I was like, excuse me, what? So David Fincher, he was the director of Seven, Fight Club, Gone Girl, and The Social Network. And I was just so excited. And then when I heard it was going to be kind of like an FBI psychology of serial killers, like the FBI interviewing these serial killers and like really getting into their psychology and their upbringing and analyzing the information, which doesn't sound like it's like super thrilling. It's such a good show, though. I would say it would really appeal if you were a fan of anything like Criminal Minds, because it is in the the BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit, and kind of the early stages of it and how they started tackling these, I guess, like typing these people and categorizing them and analyzing all the information that they got from these interviews. But it's really interesting. I will say 
the first episode is really intense. So if you're not like a horror person and you watch that first episode and get turned off immediately, like that first 20 minutes is not like the rest of the show. It's like a very intense hostage situation. And the rest of the show is more about how the BAU got to be where they are. Uh, so it's it's very different, but it's really, really good. I loved it. My husband and I watched it together. There's not a lot of stuff that we watch together because we just have totally different tastes. But this appealed to both of us. We just absolutely loved it. So I suggest you guys watch it for sure. If your husband liked it, I think I would as well. Yeah, so just I would just be careful for that first that first scene in the first episode is just crazy. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> also, if you guys have been enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes it easier for people to find us. Uh, so I do have some reviews that people have left here. Someone said, all the stabby books. Yes, five stars. So excited to have a book podcast covering horror. I'm looking forward to many more episodes and good book recommendations. Great banter and nice production quality. Good luck, ladies. And that's from Car Dizzy. Thanks. Yay, thank you. New favorite podcast, five stars. Books in the Freezers, the podcast I didn't even know I needed. I can't wait to hear about all the mystery, thrillers, and horror novels I've been missing or should check out in the future. I only wish the episodes were longer. And that's from Saturday Talks Books. I noticed I have not been leaving the link to the show notes in the episode. So if you want to see anything that we talk about, any of the trailers or any of the books that we talked about, you can go to booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. That's our WordPress site where we have all the links to everything we have talked about in any episode that we've ever had. And if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at booksfreezerpod on Twitter on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or shoot us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya. That's at L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or you can find me on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at shades underscore orange or on YouTube and Instagram at all one word, no spaces, the shades of orange. And I'm Olive. I'm on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, all at a book olive, all one word. Thank you guys so much. And join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 